Glory to God. Praise the King. Praise the Lord. Oh, goodness. I appreciate what these people do up here with the music. Since we don't give them any time to practice, I think they do a good job. I mean, I'll tell you, uh, we, we appreciate everything everybody does for this ministry. But actually, what we're all doing is serving the King together. That's what we're all doing. I'd like to make a little announcement here about this uh, magnificent movie that's been so controversial, The Passion. It's going to start playing on the 25th of February at uh, different theaters. And if there's ever a movie, everybody needs to go see, and you need to take your lost friends with you. This movie has a better demonstration of what our Savior went through on the cross than anything I think that's ever been done. But I'm still going to tell you that as good as they can do it, it's not going to be as graphic as what really happened to our king. I mean, you just can't imagine when the scripture says that he was marred, his body was marred more than any man, that he was unrecognizable as a human being. And he did that for you. And he did that for me. And we have misinterpreted what he did. And I, I did it for most of my life. I had no idea what I had as a son of God. No idea. So today, since today is the first Sunday of the month, and the first Sunday of the month we always have communion. And I'm going to make a statement to you. I know that I've heard lots of controversy on communion. I know that in the Baptist church I was associated with, we did it once a quarter uh, in most churches, and I thought that was okay until I learned what it meant. And then whenever I learned what it meant... I started taking communion far more often. I think that in my Sunday school class on Sunday morning, I take communion every Sunday. The Bible teaching that I do on Sunday morning. We take it every morning, every Sunday morning. We take it here one time a month. But that's not enough. But you can't do communion at church every Sunday. I say you can, but I don't think it takes up too much time. But I want you to know that what I'm going to teach you today from God's Word about communion. Now, I have made another set of tapes back there that if you've never seen those, I've had some people tell me it's the best teaching on healing and communion. I've got a tape back there, a videotape called The Lord's Supper and Healing. And I have had some people in here uh, that have told me that is the best teaching they have ever heard on communion. But, you know, what turns on one person won't do nothing for another. So that's why God uses a lot of different men and women to do different things. But anyway, I want you to know what is yours through communion. Now, I want you to realize that if you, when you're eating the flesh of the, of the Lord, His body, which is represented by the bread, and you're drinking His blood, that was a hard teaching to most people. When Even the disciples, when He said, unless you eat my flesh, and drink my blood, you have nothing in me. That was, that's kind of difficult for a person to grasp. But the day he said, this is my body, he was holding the unleavened bread in his hand. So it's obvious that, that piece of bread he was holding in his hand was not his physical body. But it was a symbol of his body. Just like when he drank of the cup. He said, the cup, this is my blood. It was not really his blood. But it's a symbol of his blood. So when we take that meal, that meal, 
as I have taught many times, there is a healing power of Jesus in that meal. Now then, if you want to walk in divine health, which I've walked in for 20 years, if you want to walk in divine health, I'm going to tell you something today that don't you ever forget. If you want to walk in divine health, you get these scriptures I'm going to talk about today into your heart. You get them in, locked into your spirit. And you believe these scriptures that I'm going to teach you about today. And then you take communion <clears throat> as often as you eat a meal. Every time you sit down to eat a meal, before you eat that meal, take communion. If you eat three times a day, take communion three times a day. If you eat twice a day, take communion twice a day. And if you will do that, <clears throat> I will guarantee you, if you'll take it in faith. Now, you can't just take it. It's got to mean something to you. You can eat that unleavened bread and drink a gallon of grape juice every day and still die with cancer. But I'm going to tell you something. I told a, a woman and her husband yesterday. I went to visit a couple that he's been sick. And she had everything at her home for communion. She had the real stuff. She had wine. When I drank the wine, she said, will you take the wine? I said, of course. I said, because in the Bible, they used wine. I said, you don't go and have communion and get drunk unless it's wine. I said, you, don't, you can't drink enough grape juice to get drunk. I said, you know what that reminds me of when I take the sweetness of the wine? I said, that's the sweetness of what my Savior did for me on the cross. But I said, you know what the bitterness in it, the alcohol does? She said, what? I said, that's what sin does. And that's what my Savior and your Savior, he took into his own body. His, our sin and our wicked sin came in and tainted his blood. And that's why that when we take communion, when we use real wine, that's what that reminds me of, the bitterness of what sin does. And to think that our Savior had pure, sweet blood. And he tainted it with that wickedness for you and me. <clears throat> That's an awesome thing for the king to do. But he did that for us. And when it becomes a reality to you, now I don't care what anybody tells you, if you don't agree with this book, don't believe it. Amen. But when you believe what this book says... <clears throat> That's just like a man. A man asked me a question the other day. He said, Thurman, do you think healing is in communion? And this is an evangelist, too. And I said, of course it is. Not just physical healing, but in Isaiah 53, 5, you have spiritual healing. You have mental healing. Amen. And you have physical healing. Everything is yours. The king didn't miss nothing. He said, well, then if what you're saying is true, that means we should never be sick again. That couldn't be true because too many Christians are sick. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that sin is in the atonement? He said, of course. I said, then let me ask you one question. Why is there so many Christians out there sinning? Amen. I said, do you know any Christians sinning? He said, well, I guess nearly the whole church. I said, you don't know why the whole church is sick? Because they're sinning. They're not rightly discerning the body of Christ. Now, I would not be up here teaching you these things today if I hadn't walked in divine health for the last 20 years. But since I've studied these things and the Lord himself has spoken to me and showed me these things and given me revelation on these things, 
if these things are bringing forth and changing people's lives by the multitudes, the people that get a hold of this all over this country. In fact, I will tell you, I got a letter this week from a, a woman. Uh, her and her husband are in a ministry in uh, Chicago, Illinois, a young couple. And she sent me a letter, and she said, I listened to the two tapes on Caitlin's miracle. And she said, that is the most awesome teaching I have ever heard in my life. And she said, we've been in the ministry years. And so I couldn't read her first name, so I called to get her first name. She'd handwritten it. <clears throat> and when I called her and talked to her, she said, I can't believe you would take the time to call me. I said, ma'am, I'm just a member of the body of Christ. You know, I mean, I'm just out about my Jesus' work. She said, I've got a friend, good friend, in Phoenix, Arizona, that's down in her back for several days and just down in excruciating pain. Said, would, would you call her? I said, sure, I will. Give me your phone number. While I was talking to this lady in about 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever, I had three other calls come through. But, I mean, I never stop and answer a phone call because everybody that calls me wants to talk 15 minutes to an hour. And so I can't, call, can't put nobody on hold, so I just let everything go to voicemail, and then when I call them back when I can't. And sometimes you call in the morning, and I'm on the phone. There's days in my life I'm on the phone, six, seven, and eight hours at a time. Amen. I mean, just one right after the other, all day long. So anyway, it was an hour before I got around to calling this woman. And when I called, <clears throat> she answered the phone and she said, Oh, my friend has already called and said you were going to call. She said, I was waiting for your call. She said, I'm in excruciating pain in my back. I said, Are you a daughter of the king? She said, Yes, I am. I said, Are you been speaking evil about anybody? She said, No. I said, you hold any grudges against anybody? She said, No. I said, All right. I said, Of all your sins confessed? She said, Absolutely. I said, okay, you sound like you're in shape for a miracle. She said, my husband just walked in. I want him to hear this. So he came in. He got on the phone, too. I asked him the same questions. He met all the criteria. I said, but your wife is sick. She's down with a, with a uh, problem in her back. He said, well, yeah. I said, let me tell you what your problem is then. It's unbelief or lack of knowledge of God's Word. I said, I want you to turn to one verse of Scripture, one verse of Scripture that the Lord made to us. And I said, when he was here, he said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, I said, the king himself said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my father, which is in heaven. I said, you have not believed that verse. That's only one of the promises in God's word. You've not believed it. And because you've not believed it, you've got an evil heart of unbelief. And that's why your wife has been down with your, with her pain in her back all this time. I said, now repent and tell the Lord that you're sorry for not believing His Word. And so he did. And she did. I said, now then, you're the priest in your home. I said, reach over wherever your wife is and lay your arm around her. And tell her you love her. I said, then after you do that, then I want you to look at him and say, Lord, I love you too. And we love you. And you made us a promise in your Word. In Matthew 18, 19. And Lord, I'm sorry I haven't believed your Word. I repent for not believing this promise and already praying for my wife in faith. So he said, Father, in the name of Jesus, according to Matthew 18, 19, I ask you to heal my wife, and I thank you that it's done. And the instant he said, thank you that it's done, I heard her screaming. The pain just left. She's running around the room. I'm hearing her on the phone as he's holding the phone, running, screaming, praising God. In a minute, she comes back over there, grabs up her little 25-pound grandchild, 
walks up there and she said, I got my grandbaby on my hip. She said, let me have that phone. She said, I got my grandbaby on my hip. I'm holding him up and said, I have absolutely no pain in my back. Hallelujah. What does it when you get to where you believe God, when you make sure you got your sins confessed, when you believe the King, what does the King do, Miss Vicky? He does miracles, doesn't he? Just like he did for Bobby up there that time. I think about that lovely guy. You know, that had all that problem all those years since he was uh, 14 years old. And he was 38 years old. Been down on his back. A Christian man sings at Lakeland Baptist Church in the choir. Loves God with all of his heart. But he's in unbelief. Amen. Unbelief. Let me tell you, the day that the church begins to believe these promises, it still remains to be seen what God can do with a man or a woman that believes this book with no doubt in his heart. Uh-huh. I haven't met him yet. I don't know who he is. I wished I could be one of those men. I'm working diligently on it, but I am not there. But I will say that the greater my faith gets and the greater I trust the king of the universe with these promises... That's exactly the same thing I told Bobby that day when this little lady over Miss Vicky brought that man to me in excruciating pain, getting ready. He'd already checked out several major doctors, and all of them give him the same diagnosis. We can help you a little, but you might as well get used to it. You're going to have pain all of your life. How would you like to have a diagnosis like that at 38? You're going to be in pain. We may be able to eliminate part of it, but we're not going to be able to solve your problem. And he's 38 years old. And yet one prayer of faith standing in the town hall of Flower Mound last year on the day, National Day of Prayer. One prayer of faith and then guaranteeing him that he'd wake up the next morning with no pain in his back. Because we stood on God's word. That man woke up the next morning for the first time in his life since he was 14 years old with absolute no pain. And to this day, from then till now, he's not had another pain. Now, see, you've got to believe God. You can't just say, I think I believe you, Lord. You must believe Him with no doubt in your heart. Now then, when people call and ask me these things, even evangelists, I'm having people from other denominations and evangelists and people that are calling me and asking me these questions. Whenever they call and ask me these questions, they ask me, well, what about so-and-so? Ask me about a well-known figure that's uh, got a handicapped or in a wheelchair or whatever. And I said, well, sir, I just have to answer that with God's Word. Jesus said, if you can believe me, nothing shall be impossible with you. I said, that's what the king said. I said, now, there's things in my life that I've not overcome yet. I'm still working on them. I said, I know that there's an enemy out there, and he is tough, and he does not want to give up. Because the minute the church really gets a hold of the fact that when we walk holy before the king, that beast cannot touch us or our children. And when we speak in the name of Jesus and speak in faith, he has to leave and we're going to be totally set free. I said, whenever the church gets a hold of that, the devil is in trouble and he is going to fight tooth and nail. I can assure you it's not going to be easy. So I now know that God is raising up men and women across this country to raise the standard in the church. He is raising it up. He is reiterating this fact that I am the healer. I am the deliverer. I come to set my people free. And he is raising up men like me. Whenever he takes a man like me, an engineer in the workforce, and starts to talk to me in an audible voice and show me these mighty things and teach them to me. And I've been raised up in a Southern Baptist church all of my life and don't have a clue what this book says. And he starts telling me these things and then he starts confirming 
what I teach with mighty signs and miracles and wonders, even raising the dead and doing creative miracles, I'm telling you the God that I serve and we serve is the one that's doing that because I can assure you I'm not doing it. It's only the king. He could only be the one that can do these mighty things, but he's doing this. So today we're going to talk about communion. And one other thing I might say that uh, this Friday at noon, I'm going to tell of the most magnificent story that's ever happened over at Hillcrest Church here in North Dallas. I'll be over at Hillcrest Church about noon. I think it goes till about 1.30 or something. It's a luncheon. And uh, everybody's invited. I think there's a $5 fee for the lunch. I believe that's what it is. I'm not sure. Ma'am? Oh, you have some tickets. Okay, Dale and uh, uh, Jim Ash over here, they have some tickets. But uh, anybody wants to come to that, all you got to do is see them. They have some uh, uh, tickets so you can come to that. And I'm going to be talking about the most awesome testimony, the most awesome miracle God ever done in my life. We're going to try to do that in an hour, if there's some way I can. Somehow we're going to get, try to get around it in one hour. It's an awesome, awesome testimony. But also I might tell you, those of you that are here, that I don't tell you, in January, the first week in January, we started two Bible studies in the week. We're here every Sunday afternoon from 2 to 4. And we're here also every Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. till 9 p.m. for Bible study. We had about 50 or 60 people last Tuesday. What a pretty nice group. But we're having Bible study right here, and we're studying the book of Ephesians. We started uh, four weeks ago. We've been four sessions. So we're, gonna, we're studying the book of Ephesians in detail. And we do that every Tuesday night right here from 7 till 9. And then, of course, I stay and pray with people or whatever until... 10, 11, or whatever, and then I go home. But then uh, also out at my son's uh, business uh, out there in Justin, the building I've been building that I'm through with now, uh, we have a Thursday night Bible study out there. Every Thursday night from 7 till 9, we have a Bible study out there. And then every second Saturday of the month, we have a healing school right here. The second Saturday of every month, starting at 1 p.m. in the afternoon, we teach you how to be healed and how to walk in divine health. And then out there at his building in Justin, just south of Justin, uh, we teach a healing school the fourth Saturday of every month. So I went from one healing school and four services a month to eight Bible studies and eight healing schools a month along with everything else. And uh, also this year, it's amazing uh, the number of people that I'm having call, and I'm so grateful for all these things that people are wanting me to come teach Bible studies at different places. Uh, I had a, had a pastor and his wife and their Baptist uh, from Washington State. They got some of my tapes, and she called, and she said, I want every tape you have. Well, I sent her about, I think we sent her 15 audio tapes and about 8 or 10 videos, and I thought, well, that'll be enough to get them started. And so the other day, after she had listened to a few of those, uh, she called and said, how in the world can we get you to Washington? And I told her, well, just buy me an airplane ticket and provide me a place to stay, and, you know, I'll come out there. So I guess in the future on a uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I'm going to try to go out there sometime whenever they get ready. But this week, after Hillcrest, uh, we will leave Hillcrest that afternoon, drive to Gatesville, Texas, and Saturday morning at 9.30 in the Twin Coves Christian Center. Uh, we will teach a Bible study. It's right there on Highway 84, right in the middle of Gatesville. We start there that morning. It's all on my website. shows you the instructions and everything. We'll be there from 9.30 to 
and then an hour lunch, and then from 1.30 till 3.30. So it'll be a four-hour healing school. I'm going to teach those people down there uh, from God's Word about how to walk in divine health. So praise the Lord. That's where we're going to be. Now then, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to read some things there, and then we're going to go to 1 Timothy. I've got a lot of things I want to talk about today, and that's why I told Wendell, I said, we need to make sure that we, I can get started by 1.30 today, because uh, if we don't, we're going to be here a long time. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is, this is something that it appears, that, and we're going to go to verse 18 to start off with. I mean, just a few years ago, I had no knowledge of what I'm going to teach you today. Absolutely no knowledge. But yet I've been in church all of my life. But the Word of God slowly but surely becomes a revelation to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask you to anoint your Word today. I ask you to bless it. And I rebuke every demon of hell that would try to steal a single word out of anybody's mind or heart today. And I command every demon to leave in the name of Jesus. And Father, I ask you to lock these words into our heart so that we can hide them in our hearts, so we will not sin against you, so we can walk in the power that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there will be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore into, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before others his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And the same manner also he took of the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new covenant of the New Testament in my blood, this do ye, as often as you do it, or drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So right there, how often did he say we could do it? As often as you take it. Now let me ask you this question. If you're trying to feed your flesh, how many times did you feed your flesh once a week? Oh, most of you don't do that. Do you feed it once a day? Oh, I mean, I don't know hardly anybody that only eats one meal a day. You know, most people are like me. You get up in the morning, you have a little something. Like this morning, I had two oranges. I had two oranges this morning. And then when I went to church and I come back and I ran through the house, I was in a hurry. So I had a little bowl of stuff right quick. And then this afternoon, when I get home, I'll have probably have something else. But if I'm at home working, I may get up in the morning and who knows, I may be on the phone till 10 o'clock. But if I'm on the phone till 10 o'clock, before I can get a break, then I'll go and make me a pancake or two, or a bowl of cereal or something, and then I'll eat it. And it's not a very big meal, so probably around 1 or 2 or something, I begin to feel that little sense of hunger, so I have another little something. 
And in about four or five, running around, wheeling and dealing, I need another little something. And then about seven or eight that night, I've got to have another little something. I mean, I know none of y'all probably do that besides me. But I never eat very large amounts. I eat small amounts as a rule, but I eat several times a day. Now then, if you really want to feed your flesh two, three, or four times a day so it'll be strong. Now, you don't want to overfeed it because you don't want it to get uh, overweight. But you don't want to overfeed it. So feed it right and exercise right and then... In the morning, and at least, at least once a day, at least once a day, take communion. And take it in faith, at least. Now, if you're sick, and you're afflicted, and you've got a problem, let me tell you, if the devil's come upon you, and you got, even if it's a cold, take communion three or four or five times a day. And every time you put that blood in your mouth, you talk to the devil. See, that's blood you're drinking. That's the Lord's blood you're drinking. Think about it like this. You know what the devil's afraid of? The blood. Amen. He's afraid of the blood. The blood is what defeated him. So when you put that blood in your mouth, that wine, that grape juice, you put it in your mouth and then you start claiming the promises of God because He has given you by the blood of Jesus He's given you power and authority and dominion over the forces of darkness. He did not come in here and leave this earth and defeat the devil and leave us with nothing. But most of my life, I thought he did. I thought I was just trudging through until I died, and then I'd get to go to heaven to be with the Lord. And then I sung this song we sang a while ago, Standing on the Promises. Didn't have a clue what that meant. Sung that for years. What does it mean, Standing on the Promises? Well, when you start pulling these promises out and you see what they are and you realize who you are as a son or a daughter of the king and that you can stand on those promises against an invisible foe that you cannot see, you can drive that beast away in the name of Jesus. Amen. I mean, you can drive him away. And that's how I've walked in divine health the last 20 years. I mean, it is absolutely a wonderful thing. Most people... Most people, if they walk in any kind of health at all, they do it the first 40 years of their life. And then the next 25, most of them, or, or so many of them, die before they get to be 65. I mean, it is absolutely wonderful to know that I'm 65 years old and I still feel like a 40-year-old. You know, that I can run and play and do things. And I mean, gee, I mean, it's all just a, a word. 65 don't mean nothing. You know, I just I just couldn't imagine when I was 40 years old what it would be like to be 65. When my dad was 50, he didn't know what I knew. My dad, when he was 50, he started having pains and back pains. And I didn't know he could pray. I had no clue. He didn't either. We didn't know we could stand on God's promises. So dad had all kinds of complications. Mother had several complications. Mother had breast removal, one, one breast removed because of cancer. Who, know, had, who had any idea? It was the devil. Nobody ever told us. Why could we not stand on these promises? We didn't know who we was. The devil was beating up on us. Well, let me tell you, I've learned in the last 25 years or last 20 years, and for sure the last uh, 10 or 15 years, I have learned what this book says about who I am and what I can do in the name of Jesus. And so that's why when I speak in his name, I've come to realize that if he says, I must believe with no doubt in my heart, that's why when I make sure your sins are confessed, 
and I pray a prayer of faith over you, I can guarantee you that you're healed or you're delivered or you're set free or whatever is done is done. Now, how long is it going to take? That's the only thing God don't tell me. Now, when he does something like he did for that lovely little woman out there in Phoenix the other day, that's what I love. You know, when a woman gets healed just like that, that's down on the bed, been there for several days and can't get up and can't walk around and she's instantly healed. I love to see God do those kind of wonderful things. And the thing about it is, I didn't even pray the prayer of faith for her. Her husband did. Why do you think I have people do that? So they'll find out it's God that's doing it and it's their faith, of mixing their faith with mine and teaching them they can do the same things I've been doing. You, know, you can do the same things. Now then, the Lord took this cup and He took this bread and it says as far as often as you do this and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I had no clue, used to, I mean, when I would come to the Lord's Supper, I knew I needed to get my sins confessed. But I now realize I need to walk with no sin. It's not coming to the Lord's Supper and sinning for a week or a month and then come to the Lord's Supper and say, Okay, Lord, now before I take this, I've got to confess every sin I've got today or this week or the last month. As a son or a daughter of the King of the universe, how many sins should you have? None. People say, Thurman, it's impossible for me to do that. No. I'm going to take you back to Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to show you what Paul said here. Romans chapter 6. Just a few pages to the left. Now, Paul, you notice in 1 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, uh, Paul says, actually in verse 10, he says, Beforehand, I persecuted the church. I did all these bad things. He killed Christians. Uh, he was doing all kinds of bad things. He said, and that God in His great mercy has saved me because of my you know, lack of knowledge. And in all of His grace and mercy, He's done that. He said, and He saved a sinner such as me, of which I was the chief of sinners. In other words, if He was the chief of sinners, I know a bunch more of us that probably fit right into that same category. Although, I have never went out and killed Christians. I mean, that's pretty bad, don't you think? But just think, a man that was killing Christians, and that's why he could look at himself and say, I was the chief of sinners. Now then, after he got born again and got saved, let's look and see what Paul's idea of sin is in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What is his answer? God forbid. And then look what he says. How shall we that are dead to sin, live any longer therein. Now, if you died to sin when you got born again, how often can you sin if you're dead? None. You can't. So when the devil comes to you, guess what most of us do? We resurrect that dead beast. We bring him or her back up. I mean, if you want to... Uh, see how quick you can be resurrected from the dead. If you say, I ain't never seen nobody resurrected from the dead. You die to sin and let somebody walk up to you and say something nasty you want, then let's find out how quick you be resurrected from the dead. 
I've seen people jump up and just go all to pieces. Christians, haven't you? Well, that is, you've got a choice to make. You either stay dead or you resurrect. When you resurrect to life, I mean, I had a woman in my Sunday school class, beautiful little lady, just absolutely just a beautiful, petite little lady. When she learned these things, she said, Thurman, I used, somebody could call me or tell me something, she could, I could tell them where to get off. She said, I just prided myself in when somebody done something to me. And then when I heard you preach the word, I thought, boy, am I sinning big time. So she said, I died to self. And guess what she did? When she died to self eight or ten years ago, I talked to her just the other day. And I said, how many times you been sick in the last eight or ten years? She said, not one single day. Not one single day. Not one sickness. Now, what happens when you die to sin? When you die to sin and you don't sin... How many doors do you open to the devil to come to hit you? None. That's absolutely right. If you have no doors open to the devil, then he can't come in and get you. You have complete power and authority over him. So, if we get a hold of what Paul said here in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, because how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And then he goes on, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You notice he said we should walk in newness of life. You should not be the same person. When you get born again and you come up out of that baptismal waters, and you're showing the world that you've been resurrected with Christ. Now, the new person that lives is not you anymore, but it's Christ in you. And you should take on His attributes, and everything you do should bring glory and honor to the King. And you should walk in the same thing that Christ walked in. Which means if you walk in obedience to His Word, you do everything He says, and you walk in faith and speak in faith, you're going to see lives changed. You're going to be able to tell people who they are. They're going to be able to take authority over the devil, drive him out of their home. They're going to get saved. People are. They're going to get healed. I think about uh, Don the other day. Whenever a man came up to him out there, he's going to uh, drain his fire plug up to up Louisville Flyer Mound the other day. He goes out there and he said, uh, uh, Sir, can I talk to you a minute? He said, Well, he said, I, I don't have time. He said, I just got to open this plug. I just got a phone call and my mother just had a heart attack. She's a hosp- They're taking her to the hospital in Louisville right now. He said, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm a Buddhist. He said, well, I'm a Christian and I serve Jesus. And Jesus answers prayer. He said, can I pray for your mother? And he said, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for you to pray. So Don rebuked the devil, asked the Lord to do a great and mighty work of healing on this little lady in the name of Jesus. And said, my God will do something for your mother, I guarantee. The young man leaves, goes down to the hospital. He's gone an hour and a half. He comes back out there, knocks on the door. Don goes to the door, and this little guy opens the door, and he said, Sir, would you tell me a little more about this Jesus? Amen. He said, I'd be happy to do what happened. He said, I looked at my watch, and I don't remember the time, but I'm going to use 3 o'clock. He said, I looked at my watch when you got through praying, and it was 3 o'clock. And so he said, I went running down to the hospital. It took me 20 minutes to get down there. I got down and walked in the hospital, and they're getting my mother ready to take her out. They said, something strange happened. At 3 o'clock, everything started working perfect in her body. And everything's working. Said she had had a heart attack, but now then everything's working perfect and there's no problem. So she's going home. So he said, I took my mother home. And he said, I thought, 3 o'clock? 
And, and that's when it happened at 3 o'clock. That's when that man prayed that prayer. So this man comes back out there, knocks on his door, and wants to know more about this Jesus. And guess what Don got to do? He got to lead that little Buddhist boy into the kingdom of God and get him saved that afternoon. Now, when you and I start doing some things in faith, when we learn who we are, when people start seeing the demonstration of the power of the Spirit that lives in you and I, when we do something in faith, we're going to, it's going to be easier for us to lead the world to Christ. There ain't going to be no questions. Now, you don't do this. You don't say, well, now I'm not sure I'm a Christian. And, and I'd like to pray for your mother. Now, I'm not sure what my Jesus will do. But maybe, if it's His will, He might do something wonderful for you. You ever heard anybody talk like that as a Christian? And guess what? Since God's a faith God, guess what? He never does. And nothing. He never shows up for those kind of people. He said, you're double-minded, you're unstable in all your ways. And He said, that man need not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. And that's in James 1, 6, and 7. So you don't try God, you do God. You don't try Him, you do... Right, Vicky? I mean, I didn't tell Bobby up there that I hope the Lord will heal your back. I did not say that at all. I spoke the Word of God, and then I guaranteed him what Jesus would do. I mean, Jesus, if Jesus tells me what He'll do, and I don't believe Him, do you think that would be unstable in all my ways? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, that's just like a little lady up here the other day. She may be here today. I don't know. But she's come up for me to pray for her last Sunday. And she's standing right down here in the front. And she was having problems believing God. Well, that's not uncommon. You know, when you've been in a church all your life where you've never seen God do anything, it's kind of difficult to, in one Sunday to get to where you can believe. And she was having trouble believing these promises. And I said, honey, what is your name? And she I'll just use the name of Sue. That wasn't her name, but I'll use that name so I won't call her name. And she says, Sue. And I said, no, no, I don't believe that. I said, come on, tell me the truth. What is your name? And she looked at me and she said, well, it's Sue. I said, no, 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 let's forget that. I heard you say that before. I know that's not your name. Now tell me the truth. She said, is there something wrong with you? I said, oh, you're offended. Well, she said, don't you think I know my own name? I said, well, don't you think God knows His promises? Wow, she said, I never thought about it like that. I said, so anytime we don't believe God, when he makes us a promise, it's like spitting in the face of the king. And so if somebody walks up to you and is saying something to you and he spits in your face, uh, that kind of offends anybody, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, it's the same time somebody walked up and just slapped me in the face. I said, what's going on here? You know, you don't expect that, do you, brother? But that's what we do to God all the time. We spit in his face, he makes the promises, he tells us what we'll do, and we don't believe him. So when it comes to communion, we have the same thing. Then it says here, But he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I didn't have a clue what that meant most of my life. Now, if you do not know that in the atonement, in fact, let me go back to Isaiah 53, 5, 4 and 5, and let's go read that. That is probably one of the clearest uh, scriptures that you can find on the atonement. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. 
Okay, first of all, since verse 1 is such a great verse, I'm going to read Isaiah 53, 1. Who hath believed our report? In Romans 10, that Paul said the same thing. Who has believed our report? Well, I've come to realize that I didn't believe it. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So now right there, in that scripture, when you see somebody that's painted a picture of Jesus and is the most beautiful, handsome man you ever saw, you automatically know that's not Jesus. Because there ain't no pictures of Jesus. There is none. So, I, I, you know, I don't believe in pictures of Jesus because I don't have one. There is not one. So if you hang a picture on your wall and you say, that's Jesus, that's not right. That's a lie before God. Because I had never seen a picture painted of Jesus that was a, just a rough old guy, did you? They're always some kind of pretty, handsome. But the Word says that there is no beauty that we should desire Him. No beauty. Then it says in verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Right there in that one verse, there is physical he- or spiritual healing, mental healing, and physical healing. Every bit of it right there in that one verse. Then you go down to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord. To bruise him, please, please God the Father, to bruise him, Jesus. He has put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So what that verse there, 10, is saying that he really, he actually laid on him with those stripes. He laid on Jesus, mine and your pain and sickness and disease. And then to confirm that better in any place else, Matthew 8, 16, and 17. Go to Matthew 8, 16, and 17. And you've got to see what the Lord says here in Matthew 8, 16, and 17. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils or demons. Now, who is the problem? The devil and his demons. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed how many that was sick? All. All that was sick. And he said in verse 17 that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, if Jesus took my infirmities and bare my sicknesses, There is absolutely no use in me and him both having it. I mean, if I go up and take something from you, there is no use than you trying to keep it too. But what we do, we go up and we say, Lord, I'm going to give you my sickness. I'm down and I've got this problem, so I'm going to give you my sickness. And then you walk off and you walk outside and you see me and I say, how are you doing, brother or sister? Well, I'm not doing doing too good. I have this sickness. I thought you left it in there with him. No, you didn't leave it in there. You're still carrying it along. 
Every time you confess it out of your mouth, you're giving the devil legal right to put it on you. You might say, well, I don't feel real good, but the devil tried to put something upon me, but I left it over there in the arms of Jesus. He's taking care of it, so by his stripes I am healed. So it's his battle, it's not mine, so praise God, I'm healed. I ain't taking no for an answer. And you go and you continue to praise and worship the king. And whose battle is it? It's the Lord's. So you give him the battle. And as you give it to him, you just speak the word and you believe it in faith with no doubt in your heart. And you won't never have to be sick again. You don't never. Now then, when you, when you rightly discern over in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, let's, sh- let's go back to 1 Corinthians 11. When we get over here in this scripture where we were, 1 Corinthians 11, we see here that we had not discerned the Lord's body. And if we do not discern the Lord's body, he says in verse 20, uh, 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep or die. So if we are a Christian, and we do not know that the Lord has bore our sins and bore our sicknesses on the cross... The average Christian today that I run into does not know that Jesus truly bore their sin on the cross. That they're a new creature in Christ and that they should die to sin and live unto righteousness. And they have power and authority over the devil. So when the devil comes back to tempt you, we as men and women of God, we get down into depression and oppression. And we let the devil beat up on us. And you don't know how many people, I started to say, when I say people, you don't know how many people, and most of them are women, that call me crying. When they call, they're crying because they've been beat up on by the devil. They think it's their husband, or they think it's their mother-in-law, or they think it's whatever. No, it's the devil. And I can take a little person that's a born-again Christian, and if I can spend 30 minutes to one hour on the telephone with that little person, within 30 minutes to an hour, I can have them rejoicing and praising God in an hour. Instead of thinking about what their problem was... I can have them read, I mean, just praising the king, totally changing their life. Because when you get a hold of the fact of who you are and who the devil is, and when you get a hold of the fact of what Jesus did to that devil, and you speak directly to that spirit of depression or that spirit of oppression, or your husband walks in, that's what every woman wants to do. Every woman's got a husband that torments him. What she wants to do, now this brother here, he's fairly new here, but I'm going to use him as an example. His wife walks in and he's just meaner than the devil himself today. And she walks up and said, you demon of hell, I command you to come out of him and go to the pit. <laughs> that's, what, that's what women want to do to their husbands anyway, right? Well, she's got to realize if he comes in acting meaner than the devil himself, he's yielding to the devil. Because the Lord told this man what he's supposed to do with this woman. And he's supposed to do what he's doing, sitting here holding her close with his arm around. That's what he's supposed to be doing. But so many men don't do that. And when they don't hold their wife close and they don't love them and they come in meaner than the devil himself, you ought to, as a spirit-filled, born-again daughter of the king, if your husband gets mean with you and won't do nothing, and if he professes to be a Christian, you ought to just walk up to him look him right down and say, You devil of hell, come out of him. I ain't putting up with this no more in Jesus' name. Get out. Now then, let me give you a hug, honey. I love you. <laughs> you see where I'm coming from? Kick them devils out. Kick them devils out. Don't let them have that heyday in your house. You know, whenever, when you do that, it'll change your life. You know that? Now then, if you've got a couple that both of them know who they are, both of them really know who they are, and they know who the enemy is, you won't ever have those kind of problems in your home. I mean, when the devil comes to your house, there'll never be an argument in that home. 
because they'll realize who the devil is, they'll run that beast off, and they'll walk in that love relationship one to another. You won't have no divorces in a home like that. When a man and a woman learns who they are, truly learn who they are, there's a lot of people beginning to get a little head knowledge, but that head knowledge don't work. It's got to be heart knowledge. It's got to be revelation faith. You've got to know who you are in Christ. When you know who you are in Christ, you just stop letting the devil beat up on you. You just don't let him do that no more. He'll try every once in a while, but you stand on God's mighty word, just like that song we sung a while ago, Standing on the Promises. And when you rightly discern in communion that the stripes of Jesus, by those stripes you were physically healed. When you really believe that, and it becomes a revelation to you. And I realize that it's so unfortunate that there's so many people in church that does not know these things. But I, I was one of those for 40 years. So I can't say anything bad about those people. I was a Sunday school teacher for 15 years and didn't know these things. I was a deacon in a church for 10 years and never led anybody to Christ. Didn't know who I was. Didn't know what my authority was. Had no idea. But when I got to reading this book word by word, like I used to read those engineering manuals and started having to learn this book, like I had to learn those manuals, especially those that I used on those DC-8s and those Lockheed Electors, you know how often I could afford to be wrong when I was teaching a Lockheed Elector or a DC-8? Zero. That's I could not afford to be wrong. That's just like one day I was on a check ride out of New York City with a guy, and he was from Texas. And me and him hit it right off because both of us from Texas, we talked alike. We were strange, you know, up there in that part of the country. But we got out there, and he said, uh, he asked me a question. <clears throat> he was giving me a check ride. I'm, I'm going to work for an airline now, and he was the FAA man. And he said, I'm going to give you a check ride to get you checked out on their airplanes. So we're taxing down the runway. He said, I want you to tell me what happens at a certain, certain thing on the thrust reversing system. And I told him. He said, oh, no, you're wrong. I said, oh, no, I ain't wrong either. He said, well, I went to their school, and what they taught me is not what you said. I said, I'm going to tell you they taught you wrong. He said, now, look, their instructor taught me. I said, okay, i tell you what. You want to know what this thing does above 250 knots and below 250 knots, above 10,000 and below 10,000, I'm going to tell you exactly what it does, and we're going to go up there and we're going to put it to the test. How, do, how can you prove something? Put it to the test. So we got up there, and I told him, I said, now, Right now, at the airspeed we are, the altitude we are, and everything, when you put those engines, those inboard engines, into reverse thrust, this is what's going to happen. And we did it, and it, it did exactly what I told him it was going to do. Then we speeded up above 250, and we did it again, and it did exactly what I told him it was going to do. He said, Mr., all I got to say is you know your airplane. I said, yes, sir. If there's any place I don't want to be wrong, it's on this airplane. You know. In fact, one day when I was coming, we was going from Dusseldorf, Germany, to Malaga, Spain, and we were about 30,000 feet, and if we taxied down, not taxied, tuck off down the runway, I had a low-pressure pneumatics manifold light, overtemp light, come on. And it was, we were past V1, so we couldn't stop, so we had to go. Well, I was able to isolate a few things and get things taken care of, and all of a sudden, flying along there, and all of a sudden, the low-pressure... Uh, bottles, the uh, uh, fire bottles, fired in the number two engine in a DC-8. The lights came on and everything. I said, hey, we just had a 
fire bottle fire out there, but I thought I have no indications of no fires. And so, hmm, I looked at thought, this is strange. And a little while later, another one fired. Hmm, I said, this is strange. No indications of no fire, but the fire bottles are all firing. So we get up there, we're 35 or whatever thousand, pulled the engines back, we're cleared to descent in the Malaga, Spain, pulled the engines back to idle, and when it did, all four turbo compressors stalled. Well, I immediately throw the two inboard engines back up. I started isolating things. We didn't want the cabin to come up so it would be so rough on everybody's ears. So by knowing this airplane inside and out, I knew exactly what to do. Well, we came on down, we got in, and the captain, he said, what do you think wrong with this beast? I said, we've got a, probably in the right wing fillet, we've got a low-pressure pneumatics manifold seal blowed out. He said, how do you know that? I said, because the heat from those manifolds are not staying in the manifold, and the hot air has been blowing into those nacelles, and it got so hot in that nacelle. That's what set off those thermal bottles, and that's why those two, pressure, those two fire bottles are blue, because of the heat in those engines. I said, that's what's wrong. So we taxi in, get on the ground. He calls them. They bring out a low-pressure start cart, put it on there, and the guy pressurized it, and he comes right. He said, man, you guys are grounded. He said, you got a low-pressure uh, low pneumatics manifold seal blowed out in the right wing fillet of this wing. Yeah. And he turned and looked at me and said, boy, do you know this airplane? I said, yeah, <laughs> I make it a point to know this airplane. Now then, if I know that airplane that good... And I know how to isolate everything on that airplane. That means I'm going to live a whole lot longer if something goes wrong. Now, then, if I understand and know this book like that, that means I'm going to live a whole lot better, longer life. So I made it a point when I was an instructor flying all those machines all over the world, I made it a point to know that book inside and out. I mean, I knew those. I didn't go out and get in an airplane guessing about what's going to happen when I flipped a switch. I knew what was going to happen. So one day I started studying this book like I did those engineering manuals. When I started studying this book, I thought, my goodness, Lord, there is a lot of... If this book means what it says, there's a whole lot of things in this book I've never heard you, your preachers teach in church. So I'd start asking people about this stuff. Well, you know, they try to explain it away. So one day you make a decision. If man wrote those engineering manuals and I have to live by those books every day, who, who wrote this book? God did, by the Holy Spirit. Sure, man sat down and penned it, but they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit of God. And as they wrote this down, if God wrote this owner's manual to me and told me what I could do, if I get to where I can believe this book, when I really get to where I can believe this book, he says, if you don't sin. He said, you should not ever sin once you become my child. Right. But he said, if you do, I'll give you First John 1, 9 so you can confess and be restored. Because he knew I'm still a human being. But as a human being, I, my goal should be never to sin. And he clearly tells me, if I don't sin, I open no doors to the devil. So if I open no doors to the devil and I walk in obedience to the Word and I can believe this by faith, Nothing shall be impossible with me. That's what the king said. Nothing. Now, most of us have a little problem with some of these statements the king said. But he's the one who said these things. I'm just teaching you exactly what he said, and I'm teaching it with a confirmation of what I've walked in the last 20 years. In the last 20 years, I, don't, I do not know a single man 
that wouldn't love to be 65 years old and could say, I've not had one sick day in the last 25 years and be able to stand before you and say, I'm going to tell you, I am never going to have another sick day and I'm going to live till I get old and satisfied and then I'm going to tell the Lord, Lord, I'm ready to come home and He's going to take me to house. Now see, that's what God said we can do if we believe Him. That's what He said. Now then, if the Lord says here that if you've incorrectly discerned His body... Many of us are sick and weakly, and some of us even sleep or die early. Don't you think it's time we begin to discern that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed? Now then, if he told us that in Isaiah 53, 5 while ago, that with his stripes we are healed, and then he told us in Matthew 8, 17, that he confirmed what the prophet Isaiah said, saying himself, Jesus bore your sicknesses or your infirmities and removed your disease, then 1 Peter 2, 24 says, by the stripes of Jesus you were healed, you are healed, then it's time we start claiming by faith what is rightfully ours. When you take communion, when you take communion, and that's why I say you should take it every day, at least once a day, every day, and if you have a sickness in your body, you need to drink it, and take it by faith three, four, or five times a day. Now then, if a doctor says, if you are the kind of person that don't have faith, and that's most of us, I was there most of my life, most of my life, if I had a problem, I had to go to the doctor, and I did, try to, I did take some medicine until I learned these promises. When I learned these promises, my faith began to increase, and as my faith began to increase, I remember years ago, when I was working as a regional engineer for a large corporation, I was trying to help them move a great big piece of steel equipment one day, and I had a great big old pipe in there, and I was both feet against the wall, and I mean, I was putting, I had every muscle in my body stretched to the limit, and I tore a hole in my stomach, ruptured myself. Well, that night when I got back to the hotel, I didn't even know I'd done it. Got back to the hotel that night and started stepping in the shower, and I looked down, and here's a bulge on my stomach. What is this thing? Where'd that come from? I mashed on it. It's soft. Didn't realize it was an intestine sticking out there. But I'd mashed it and went back in. So I went in, took a shower, and this thing's sticking out there. I went and laid down on the bed and looked down, and it ain't there. And I thought, oh, well, it's going to be okay. But when I got up, it was there again. And so the next day when I left Kansas City and come back to Dallas, I walked in. I told my I said, honey, I don't know what I've done. But I said, look at this and see what you think it is. And she looked at it and she said, well, I don't have a clue, but i got a good medical manual here. We got the book out and looked and it said it's a hernia. So I said, well, now see, my faith is not there. It's been many years ago. i got a little faith now, but not much. So I said, well, I guess I better run down to the doctor then. I didn't have enough faith to pray and just ask the Lord to fix it and say, Lord, it's done. Now see, if I had a rightly discerned the Lord's body and knew these promises that were His... My wife and I could have took Matthew 18, 19 and prayed to pray of agreement and, and said, Lord, thank you, it's done. And I could have forgot it and I would have never had that surgery. The Lord would have healed it for me. Amen. But I didn't know that. So I went down, the doctor looked at it. He said, yep, you got a hernia, okay. He said, uh, we'll do it next Monday morning if you want to. And he said, you, uh, you'll be in the hospital three days and then you go home and then you'll be off work six weeks and then you go back to work. I said, well, doc, i got more faith than that. I want you to do it as an outpatient. He said, sir, I don't do hernia surgeries as outpatient." I said, if you're going to do mine, you are. I said, I, I, when you do it that morning, I'm going, when I wake up, I'm going to get up off that bed. I'm going to go put my clothes on. And I'm going home. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, you are in extremely good health. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. 
If you can get up and put your clothes on by yourself and walk out that door, I'll let you go home. <laughs> okay. So when I woke up, I mean, see, my faith is at a certain level. So I have the surgery. He fixes it. I'm thanking God for the rapid recovery that I'm going to have. And when I wake up, I get up off the bed, put my clothes on. He comes in. He said, you're going home. I said, I told you I'm going home. See, I'm saying the right thing. But this is where my faith was. I did not have enough faith to get it fixed without surgery. So I start to go home. He said, take this bottle of pills. I said, what's that? He said, it's, they're pain pills. I said, I ain't going to have no pain. Jesus bore my pain. See, I had, I'd learned that. Uh, he said, sir, if you don't take this bottle of pills, I am not letting you go home. I said, what do you mean? He said, because when this stuff I put in your body wears off tonight about 12 or 1 or 2 in the morning, he said, I guarantee you're going to be screaming with pain. I said, I am going to have no pain because Jesus bore my pain. Now, if Jesus bore my pain, there ain't no use in me and him both having it. So I had learned, see, my faith was at a certain level. I mean, I just, you just cannot go beyond knowledge of God's Word. That's just all there is to it. And so I went home that afternoon. My wife and I, she was there with me. We drove home about 5 or 6, 7 o'clock that afternoon. She said, honey, you want one of these pain pills? I said, no, honey, I told you I'm not going to have any pain. But honey, the doctor said, I said, forget what the doctor said. I'm going to have no pain because Jesus bore my pain. So I went to bed that night, slept beautiful all night, no problem. Woke up the next morning. She said, you have any pain last night? I said, no, comfortable, I'm perfect. And she said, well, do you want one of these now? I said, of course not. I have no pain. Honey, I tell you, I'm going to have no pain. See, I'm saying the right thing. You have what you say with your mouth when you say it in faith. So, I said I'm going to have no pain. And about, uh, that was on Monday when I had it, Tuesday morning, about Thursday, I got in my truck, drove out to my farm out there where I now live out there. I didn't, wasn't living out there then. I was living in Highland Village, north of Louisville. But I drove my truck out there. I took one of my cows. I did all kinds of things and done a little feeding of the cows and come back home. And Monday morning, I put on my clothes and got up and went to work. I went to work, carried my suitcase with me, traveled across this country. About three weeks later, the doctor told me to come back at the end of three weeks. So I went back at the end of three weeks, and I went in on a Monday morning. And he checked me. He said, boy, he looked at my incision there, and there was hardly not even a scar left. He said, man, do I do good work. I said, doc, it ain't you that done it. It was my faith in Jesus that done it. I believed I could have that surgery and have no scar." Now, see, isn't it amazing? I didn't have the faith to believe I could just fix it, but I had enough faith to believe he could do it without a scar, and today I have no scar there. Where he done that surgery, there's no scar, but I've prayed for many people for God to take off scars. I've seen him take many scars off of people. But he fixed mine without a scar, and I had absolutely no pain, and the guy looked at me and he said, well, my goodness, as good as that looks... He said, come back in one more week. And he said, if it looks as good as it does today, he said, I'll, I'll let you go back to work at the end of four weeks instead of six weeks. I said, sir, I went back to work Monday after you did it on Monday. He said, you didn't. I said, oh, yeah. And like I told you, I said, I had no pain. I've been carrying a suitcase and everything, and I've been traveling all over this country. I've been in airplanes all over. I've checked out all kinds of equipment. I've done everything. And I said, I ain't had a pain. Now, what can you do by faith? Now, the church don't have it. We think we do. But we don't have it. Now then, I'm going to take you 
from here, where we are talking about this in communion, I want you to go to 1 Timothy. Got just a little bit more here. We want to try to get for sure we get through this before we take communion today. I want you to see something here that uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly, or now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times, and we do know we're in the latter times. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. When I used to read that, I think that means people are going to lose their salvation. No, that's not what that means at all. Today, faith in the church is dead. Amen. We don't, we're just like I was the first 40 or 45 years of my life. I had no knowledge of what faith was. Now, if you asked me if I had faith, what do you think I would have told you? Sure, I'd have said, yes, I got faith. But I didn't know what it meant. I cannot go beyond knowledge. And so, if I think I have faith, that kind of faith never works. That's why I made those two tapes back there on the kinds of faith. I had one of those kinds, which was sense knowledge faith, and it never worked. It never got brought God on the scene. I never saw Him answer a prayer. never saw anything happen. But when I really learned what faith was, and it's totally trusting the Word, with no doubt in my heart, that kind of faith is revelation faith, and that brings the King on the scene, and He always answers your prayer. Always. Not sometimes. Always. But it says now, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Well, that's where we are today. The majority of the church does not have faith. Now, let me tell you, with these mighty promises of healing and deliverance, every time, almost every time, every Christian I know is just like I used to be. Every time I got sick, where do you think the first place I went? To the doctor. I never went to Jesus, just like Bobby. Bobby is a Baptist man, 14 years, from 14 years old to 38 years old, had been down in his back, just like we had two powerful testimonies here last Sunday the same way, of people that were Christians, that walked in obedience to God's Word, and they also had been down in their back, one of them for several months, and the other had been down for two years. And after repenting of their unbelief, one quick prayer of faith, and both those people were instantly healed. Both of them. And there were two, two different men. A woman sat right there, and then a man sat right over there last Sunday. And we got to hear these wonderful testimonies from them of what God does. We think we have faith. But when you think you have faith, I, I can ask you right quick. I can come up to you and start talking to you. I said, do you believe these promises of God? Well, I'm not sure. Well, the minute you start wiggling around, I automatically know that you're double-minded. You're just like I was most of my life. I didn't know what God would do. I had no idea. But yet when I said those kind of things, I had already sealed in concrete what he was going to do. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But he says right there in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that we will depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils or demons. The doctrine of devils or demons is everything that's contrary to the promises of God. If God makes you a promise that He'll do something for you, and then a demon comes to you and puts a thought in your mind, and most people are like I was most of my life, I had no idea the sources that my brain got information from. 
But there's three sources that your brain receives information from. Number one, from you. Number two, from God, as He communicates via His Spirit that's in you to your spirit, which communicates with your brain, and therefore thoughts come into your brain. You'd be driving down the road, and all of a sudden, uh, let's say that I'm driving down the road, and I know that Sister Jan has had a little bit of uh, uh, sickness over at her house. I'm driving down the road, and I come within a mile or two, and all of a sudden the Spirit speaks to my brain, and it says, You know, Thurman, you really ought to go over and pray with Jan and Richard. Now, where do you think a thought like that would come from? From the Lord, right? Now then, if when that thought comes, then another thought comes, but said, but you know, you're in a hurry, and if you don't go on down here to get where you're going, you're going to miss your appointment. Now, where do you think that thought come from? The devil. Because he didn't want me to go by and pray the prayer of faith for them, because if I go by and pray the prayer of faith for them, then what does the devil know is going to happen? He's going to have to leave, and she's going to be healed. But praise God, I don't have to do that anymore because her and, and Richard, they've learned how to do this themselves. They don't have to have nobody come pray to them. They kick the devil out of their own house now, and they're out praying this prayer of faith for other people. Now, see, that's the one thing. Just like when I had Jan on the radio with me, and by the way, that show's going to re-air this week. I'm going to re-air those testimonies. We had a time here, and uh, in fact, uh, sometime in the very near future, in fact, uh, if we have time today, if some of you want to stay if you've got a tremendous, powerful testimony about healing or deliverance and you want to share it with me to put on the radio, I said, and we're on five, six cities now. By the way, I might tell you all that here a while back when that Centerville down Huntsville, that station, those people that called and sent me my check back and said they couldn't air my stuff, the general manager of that place got a hold of what these men were doing and they had their hands in places that shouldn't be. He fired them all. He put a new, pe- new team in there. And this little lady he put into Miss Holmes, she picked up those two CDs on Righteous and listened to them. And she called me and said, Mr. Scrivener, you got to be on our radio show. She said, you got to be. She said, those two CDs have touched my life. And she said, our greatest listening audience is between 8 and 12. She said, I'm going to put you on at 8.15 to 8.30. And so I said, praise God. See, God isn't God awesome. He's awesome. But the thing about it is, We've got to realize who this beast is, these doctrines of demons, and what these things are doing to us. And the devil is so subtly, subtly destroying us in the church that we have departed from the faith. We're still Christians, but we're departing from what faith is. I mean, how many people, literally, in most churches that you know today, when they have a need, they'll either come up to a friend or a, a brother in Christ or the pastor, or one of the elders in the church, and they'll say, hey, I've got this little problem. I've had a problem with my wife or my husband, or uh, we're having a problem with his job, or whatever it is. And I want you to pray, and let's expect God, to, let's take one of these mighty promises, let's stand on that promise, and ask the Lord to do something, move, and then praise Him and thank Him for His answer. It's done. And you walk out the door, and somebody says, I, what's going on? Say, well, I hadn't had a job in six months. Like a guy here walked back, come in here, he said, I hadn't had a job in two years. I said, would you like to go to work? He said, I'd give anything for a good job. I said, let's take a prayer here and stand on it. And so we did. I said, praise you, Lord. Thank you. It's done. I said, you got a job, brother. I said, Lord, give it to him this week. He called me Tuesday. He had already got a job in two days. He'd been out of work two years. After one prayer of faith in two days, he's back to work. What will God do for you when you pray in faith? 
That's exactly right. Anything you ask. Now look here what happens. He says, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Now these are the, de- some of the doctrines of the demons, uh, of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now then, if your conscience has been seared as with a hot iron, are, as a Christian, are you going to hear God when He tries to tell you something even though He tell it to you through another believer? No. That's right. You're not going to hear it. So I walk up to you and you're sick and afflicted. I mean, you, have, you need to be healed. You've got a real problem. You're dying with cancer. And I say, let me tell you what Jesus said over here in uh, James 5.14. And I turn over there and read that guarantee from God to heal you. But your conscience is seared as with a hot iron because you believe the doctrines of demons and of devils. And when I read that guarantee to you, and James 5.14, 15, and 16 is a guarantee from God to heal anybody in the church. He said, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him and anoint him with oil. And the prayer of faith, not just a prayer, but the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up. And if you've committed sins, your sins shall be forgiven you. Therefore, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Because the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. That's a guarantee from God to heal you. But if I tell you that thing... And you say, well, I guess I'll just have to pass this time. I just want God's will to be done. What do you think is wrong with their conscience? It is seared over as with a hot iron to the magnificent promises of God. What is it that sears that conscience over so you can't hear God? Sin. The devil. When he draws you out into sin and you start living in sin... As long as you're living in sin, your conscience will be seared over as with a hot iron, and you will not be able to hear these mighty promises from God, even though a man or a woman of faith comes in and tells you, you still will not be able to hear and believe those promises. Now then, if you repent, if you can stay on their doorstep long enough, and you can get them to repent, say you need to stop sinning. You need to repent and turn from your wicked ways. You need to move out from that man or that woman you're living with. You need to stop lying to people as you meet on the street. You need to stop stealing from your company. I don't steal from my company. Well, I see every day when you come out, you bring a Coke out and drink it on the way. Well, I mean, but that's not stealing. Who's it belong to? Where'd you get it? Well, yeah, it was in there and it was one of them containers, but I picked it up as I went out. But, I mean, they surely won't mind. They owe me that. No, they don't owe you nothing. If they paid you a paycheck at the end of the week, they don't owe you nothing. Is that right? So if you pick up a pencil, don't be like the guy the other day that his son got caught at school stealing pencils. And he was on the carpet. And when the daddy was called home, he said, Son, what in the world did you steal a pencil for? He said, Well, Daddy, I needed one. He said, My goodness, why didn't you tell me and I'd have brought you one home from the office? You want to know why the boy steals pencils? A chip off the old block. Daddy's stealing pencils. See, we don't realize what we do. So when our consciences are seared, we open the door to the devils. Then he says here, then he goes on. He says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Now that word in the Greek is bromo. And that means food. 
It says, commanding us to abstain from foods which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now then, the word bromo, let me blow your socks off. From the Old Testament, as you know, in the Old Testament, God put down in the book of Leviticus a dietary plan. Did He not? Yes, He did. Told you exactly what to eat. Now, was that before faith? Yes. We after Christ, so we now step into the realm of faith. Do you realize that the word faith is only used two times in the uh, King James Bible in the Old Testament? And it's used like 275 or 300 times in the New Testament? We live in an entirely different realm today. Today, we're supposed to be living in faith. And everything we do is supposed to be in faith. Anything we do that's not of faith is sin. So we're sinning big time all the time and don't even know it because we're not doing everything in faith. Now then, that word bromo, when it says there, to abstain from meats, I've heard that preached on. In fact, this week, I have sat down, had a meal, and heard a major ministries preach controversy exactly to what that word said. And so I thought, Lord... I'm going to solve this issue. I'm going to go in there on my computer, and I'm going to look up that word, and I'm going to look up the Greek definition, and I'm going to find out what that word means. I had one man say that the word bromo means food that was okay in the Jewish uh, law according to the Old Testament. Okay? But you know what it really means in the Greek? It means foods that were acceptable under the Jewish law. Are those that were forbidden under the Jewish law. So when you go in, if it means those that were acceptable and those that were forbidden, what foods are included? All of them. All of them. Now then, let's go down and see if the, the English text agrees with that. It says, Which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. The, all these meats or foods which God has created, which is everything, is created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now, there's a requirement there. You've got to be a believer, and you've got to know what the truth is. And then he says, for every creature of God is good. How many does that leave out? None. Every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused. If it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified or set apart by the word of God and prayer. Now, let me ask you this question. If you're not a believer of faith, if you don't know what the word means, you can't receive something by faith that you have no knowledge of. So, let's say, for instance, that you don't know these things. And you eat pork. How many of you know that within pork, it is one of the most toxic foods with the most parasites that there is today? You know that? Why do you think God told the Jewish people not to eat it? Because they were on that side of faith. On this side of the cross, He made everything clean and pure. But what if you don't know that and you eat pork today? Can you get toxins and can you get... uh... Sure you can, if you don't exercise your faith. And let me ask you this. How many people do you know that when they sat down, Christians, sat down in a restaurant or at home, 
and never sanctify what they eat or drink with the Word of God. How many do that? I think the majority. I have been in multitudes of Christians' homes that will hand me something to eat or drink and never pray over it. Don't even think about it. Now, if I'm over there on Sunday as a pastor, well, I mean, they'll say, Thurman, would you please offer thanks over the food? But if we just come in on a normal day and hand me a cup of tea, they never think about praying over it. I mean, am I telling you the truth? Now, what did the Lord say we're supposed to do? What are we supposed to live in? Faith. If we live in faith, all things are okay for those of us that are Christians that know the truth. So if I know Jesus cleaned everything, I set a piece of sausage before me, I go into somebody's house and they put scrambled eggs and sausage there. I said, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for this food. Everything is clean. This is sanctified. If there is parasites in that, and I pray that prayer of faith over that, what's going to happen to them parasites? You're absolutely right, brother. They're going to die. In fact, the other day I was listening to a man talk about a story that a man had cancer. And they had just drawn some of his blood out and they're under a microscope checking it with the live active cancer cells operating in it. And the man prayed a prayer of faith over this man. And not only did that man get healed, but the blood sample that was over here, the, the uh, uh, cancer cells died under the microscope. Now, when you pray in faith, what, has to, what does the devil have to do? He has to leave. Now then, that's just like I've read many stories about John Lake. When John Lake was a doctor years ago, and whenever he went to Africa for 30 years and came back to the States and went to the Washington area out in the West, those cities out there, Portland and others out there, became the city. He had the healing rooms out there. And he taught the Word of God out there. And those two cities, it's on record, even in Washington, that while John Lake was out there, those two cities were the most healthy cities in the United States of America. John Lake could put his hands on a cancerous leg, eat up with cancer. And he could say, go ahead and put the x-ray pads on there. This was a long time ago. He said, put the x-ray pads on there, and I'll put my hand down in there where I can lay my hand on it. And turn it on, and they'd see a man's leg deteriorated, dying, shriveled up with cancer, and he would merely say, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the blood, I command you to die. And they would see a man's leg, every cancer cell die, and his leg be completely transformed and made like a brand new one, right under the x-ray machine. This is written. I mean, this is written. This is sto- these stories are true. What does God honor? Faith. Now, when the Spirit says in the last days, we shall de- many shall depart from the faith. I used to think He meant we we're going to depart from salvation. But that's not what He's saying at all. You can still be saved and know Jesus and not have any knowledge of these wonderful things of faith. When faith comes, just like that precious little lady was sitting right there where Dee's sitting right now, last week, you heard that little lady say that she'd been down in her back from November until March the 30th. And the minute I come and taught the Word of God for two hours and 45 minutes, and she wept and cried the last hour, and she come and said, Lord, I must repent. I have not believed your Word. And I reached up and touched her in the name of Jesus. She was instantly healed. And that same teaching that I'd done that day for two hours and 45 minutes, the guy was sitting up here behind the platform. He listened to those same two tapes a few months later, 
And when he got through listening to him, he said, God, everything that man said on those tapes is your word. He said, why have I been down in my back for two years? And the Lord spoke to him and said, because of your unbelief. He said, Lord, I repent. And what did he say? Instantly he was healed. Driving down the road in his car, down on his back for two years. What will keep you down? Unbelief. Departing from the faith. Now, I praise God for people that have health food stores. Because we don't live in faith no more. The average church member. If you do not live in faith, if you maintain the Levitical law under the dietary laws, what is your chance of living longer, D? Very good, right? Sure it is. You can live a whole lot longer because you don't take all those toxins and parasites into your body. That same dietary law will work for those people and it will work for you. But we're not under that law. We don't have to do that. Do you know there's only four things that's actually required for the church? They're in Acts chapter 15. I want you to go there. I want to show you that. Acts chapter 15. There's only four things that's required. And then we're going to take communion. Acts 15. This is where we're supposed to be living. We're supposed to be living in faith. But we don't know what it is. Now, the apostles in Acts 15, 20, they said, But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication or sexual immorality and from things strangled and from blood. Then we go on down to the bottom of the page of verse 29, and he tells us one more time that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. From which, if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. Fare you well. Now then, if we walk holy before God, if we walk in love, does love overcome the law? Yes. Absolutely. What's the law, what's the law for? A lawbreaker. If you walk in love, who needs a law? Because if you walk in love, love does no damage to, its, to anybody, does it, brother? No. The law, it says, is clearly for those that break the law. The liars, the thieves, the murderers, the whoremongers, uh, all those things. The law is for people that break God's law. But if you and me as sons and daughters of the King walk in a love relationship to God, if we'll do it and hide His Word in our heart, there's only four requirements for the church. And that's them right there. Abstain from meat offered to idols. From blood... And from things strangled, and from fornication. Now then, fornication or sex sins, that must really be awful in God's sight. Because in the Old Testament, if a man and a woman committed a sex act outside of wedlock, what was the penalty every time? Death. Absolute death. There was no two ways about it. If we'd done that to everybody today that committed a sex act, you know how many people that wouldn't be here? A whole bunch of them wouldn't be here. A whole bunch. Aren't we glad God's merciful on this side of the cross? I'm very grateful to the King. Because I don't know about you, but I'm going to be willing to say that more than likely, if we had to live under the law today like they did in the Old Testament, probably wouldn't be not one single one of us in this church today. We'd all probably be dead somewhere. All of us have probably committed some kind of sin that would be unto death. I mean, you stop and think about it. But God's merciful and gracious. But today, He has told us 
that because of the blood of His Son, all of our sins are washed away. We come to Him and get saved. He gives us a new spirit. Now, that new spirit is not supposed to sin. We're supposed to walk holy before Him. And when the devil comes upon us to make us sick or afflict us, we must know that not only was His blood poured out for our sin, but His body was given for our physical healing. And when if you take communion often enough, now if you only take it one time a month, like we do for church, which we're going to do today, I'm going to tell you that's not enough. You need, not only do you need to take it once a day, I mean once a week, you need to take it at least once a day. And if you have some kind of a sickness or an ailment that you want to get rid of, take it three, four, five, six times a day. Take the, go to that old proverb say, if a little bit of this medicine ought to do a little bit of good, a whole lot of it ought to do a whole lot of good. Well, with the, with the wine and the, and the unleavened bread, that'll work. Because when you take that little piece of unleavened bread and you tell the devil that what your Jesus did for you, who do you have backing you up when you do what God says? All of the kingdom of heaven behind you. All of the kingdom of heaven. So when all the kingdom of heaven is behind you, it don't make no difference. What you need with God, nothing is impossible. I had a man this week tell me that he was a, a truck driver. He's a man that loves God. He said, I got out of my truck and he hauled these great big long beams, 40-foot beams for these huge buildings that they build. And he said, these beams weighed 9,000 pounds apiece. Or, or stack of them, whatever they were. Anyway, they were 9,000 pounds. He said they had just unloaded their truck and they're raising them up to put them on top of a huge building. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, I got in my truck and the Spirit said, go to the front of the truck. I thought, Lord, what? but Lord, I got to undo these chains. He said, go to the front of the truck. He said, okay, I don't know what's going on. He goes up to the front and he gets here to the front of the truck and all of a sudden he hears somebody scream. And he said, I look up and the cables had broken. And those 9,000-pound beams were coming down the hit right beside my truck. Oh my. Now, if he had not listened to the Spirit, if he'd have been over there, those beams are totally silent falling through air. When a 9,000-pound steel beam hits you at that speed from like 15 or 20 stories up, you know how much there is left of you? Nothing. I mean, you're like smashed with a fly swatter. You don't have to worry about who you was. They ain't going to be able to tell if they don't know who you were. But he listened. And when he heard that voice, he was obedient without asking questions. Go to the front of the truck. Now, when the Spirit talks to us through our man, listen to him. If it's something that you think might be good for you, always listen to that voice. Now, if you're like this young lady who was in here the other day, Come and said, Thurman, I don't understand what's going on. I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden I hear a voice telling me to pull over in front of the car and hit them head on. I said, honey, I can tell you what that is. That's the devil. I said, that's the devil. That devil is trying to get you to kill yourself and kill somebody else. And just this morning, in a Bible study class this morning, there was a man there that told me a story. He said, just a few years ago, he said, oh God, if I had only known these things. He said, one of my best friends just a few years ago had a young man, 20, whatever it was, five years old, that he was a college student, and he kept telling his mother and dad, I'm hearing these voices. They're telling me to kill myself. They're telling me to open the door and jump out. They thought he was having a psychiatric problem. They took him down to all these institutes. Nobody could find nothing wrong with him. The day that he made the last statement, 
He's driving down the road. His mother said, he looked over and said, Mom, this voice is telling me to open the door and jump out. They're driving down the road 70 miles an hour. She said, I'll lock the door. Lock the car door. I said, son, I'm going to take you to the doctor. She took him down to the psychiatric ward. They'd done a complete check on and said, there's nothing wrong with this boy. That night, the boy stuck a double-barreled shotgun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. Who was it? The devil. This man, just, if I'd have known that, I could have went over there and grabbed him by the shirt collar and looked him right now and said, you devil of hell, I have authority over you. Come out of him in Jesus' name. I said, that's right. If you had have only known. But you didn't know. So your friend, best friend's son died. Now then, the Lord said if we abstain from these things, and this is all we've got here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, right quick to finish this up. He says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. I mean, he's not even telling you you need to pray over it. He is assuming you're going to pray over it as a Christian. For it is sanctified. In fact, I'm going to tell you that when we saw these water molecules right here, when we saw water molecules, and Fred's got some pictures of these things that was taken. You take a water molecule that's fragmented, like they are when they come out of the tap, and then you put a microscope over it, and you start praying and sanctifying that water in the name of Jesus. And see that water molecule come into a perfect, beautiful crystal. It's the most awesome thing. If you never prayed over your food and water before, when you see that, you will. Now then, why do you think the Lord told us to pray over our food? You think He was just talking? Why in the world would God tell you to pray over your food and sanctify it and bless it in His name? You think the king wanted you to have a long life? You think he wants you to live the abundant life? Then why in the world are so many of us disobedient like I was most of my life? Because I didn't know. I did not know. Once I got a hold of this, I began to teach it to people, and I have seen many, many, many mighty things that happen. So now then... As we take communion, I'd like for the guys to pass communion. It's 4 o'clock. I would like for them to pass communion around. And while they're passing communion around, if there is anybody that has a testimony you want to share with us, I'll let you come up and share your testimony while they're passing communion around. Anybody have a wonderful testimony of healing, deliverance, or something that you want to share? Now, I don't want somebody to come up here and preach to me. I just want you to come here and tell me your testimony. (laughs) If you've got a testimony, you know, I've got the floor open for testimonies. But if you're going to give us a 30-minute sermon, we ain't got time for that because communion is going to be in a few minutes. Not today. But if anybody has a testimony that wants to come tell what God has done for you, I'd love to hear it. And I know these people would love to hear it. Anyone. If we have one, come up here. Okay, come up here. Praise the Lord. Tell us what God's done. Well, it, Here, take this uh, microphone so they can hear you. Send, uh, see, uh, on Monday, two weeks ago. I, if you'll excuse uh, what I'm talking about. Well, yeah, I th- it's on, but okay. I think they turned it off. If, if you'll forward. excuse what I'm talking about. Uh, I had a problem with uh, my bladder. It would not uh, empty. Went to the doctor, and uh, they, they started... Uh, uh, they started working on me. They worked on me for an hour. They could not get it to uh, to empty, and uh, I was in pain. The doctor was he he didn't know what to do, and uh, he said, "In all in 20 years, I have never seen a bladder that I couldn't uh, drain." He put in eight different catheters, 
trying to get this to drain. He also put in a, a camera to go into my bladder to to check it. And uh, he put it in there three times. And he says, I want to be sure that I'm seeing what I think I'm seeing. So he, he scheduled me. They finally got it to drain. He scheduled me for a, a scan at the hospital the next day. So I went in there and took the scan. And he says, bring the pictures back with you to see me as soon as you get through. Went back over there. He looked at the pictures. He said, the, uh, he, he said your bladder is perfectly normal. He, he said he was sure that he saw a growth in there. And he said, it's gone. Now, what did you do? Praise the Lord. What did you do between the time? Did you do any praying? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you've we, got to tell us what you did. My, my wife called the members of our prayer group. They started praying. I don't know how many people was praying for me, but uh, when the time came, well, it was all clear. Amen. Praise the Lord. Prayer changes things, doesn't it, brother? Praise God. Anybody else have another testimony you want to give before we take communion? Anyone else? Okay, praise the Lord. Did I miss one? Oh, come up here, young lady. I'm sorry, I didn't. Okay, one day we had um, question and answers at one of the Bible studies. And if y'all haven't been on Tuesday night up here, it's awesome. And I asked Thurman a question about Hebrews 7.25, and it says... um, it says that wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So, my question to Thurman was, um, I forgot how I said it to you. I think I said, are you telling me that Jesus isn't praying for me? <laughs> because my grandma died about seven years ago, and I thought she was the only one that ever prayed for me, because there wasn't, we were all going to church all her life, but I really thought she was the only one praying for me. So when she died, I thought, great, who's going to pray for me now? And so when I found that scripture for a whole year, I was like, thank you, Lord, you're praying for me, you're interceding for me, Jesus himself. And then what did you tell me? What was the answer? I'll tell my testimony after. The The answer is the way the king prays for you today, he prays through the mouth of another believer. And whenever he prays through the mouth of another believer, for those believers that have yielded their tongue to the Holy Ghost, he will speak through the mouth of a believer somewhere. And as he does, he is forever interceding for us, his church. So there's never a one of us today that doesn't have someone interceding for us. And then what did the Lord do? Okay. Well, that was on Tuesday. So before the seven days was over... Um, the following Tuesday morning, um, I was keeping my niece, which is uh, my brother's daughter, and she's um, 13 months old, and um, she usually sleeps through the night fine. She woke up about 5.20 in the morning and just crying and screaming, and she was defiant and throwing her bottle down. She just wouldn't go back to sleep. We changed her diaper. Long story short, I, lay, I, mean, I did everything I could. She was in her bed. I go back to my room, and I'm like... Lord, I've got to go back to sleep. Okay, so that, well, that was about 5.15. About 5.40, I was like, you know, I might as well just pray. Instead of normally, I don't get up till way later than that. So normally I pray till when I'm through sleeping. 
Okay, so I pray my normal everyday prayer, which is I always include Revelation 12:11 for my brother, which is her dad, and all my family members, everyone, including Thurman. And um, so I'm praying in the third heaven, okay, like you taught me. Okay, guys, this is so exciting what God did for me. Okay, um, her dad at 540 was on his way to work. And he works like close to Eagle Mountain, and he lives in Watauga, so it's about a 30-minute drive. Of course, it's dark. This is a new job for him. He's been driving the same route every day for two weeks. And my grandparents live in Eagle Mountain, so he knows the roads out there really well. (sighs) Okay. I feel really guilty here, guys. And it's not because of sin, but it's because I hear people that are close to the Lord talk about the Holy Spirit and how he wakes them up to pray in the middle of the night. Okay? That's never happened to me. (laughs) Okay? And I mean, I feel guilty because of that. But the Lord is so good and merciful that he sent Jaden to cry and to wake me up. And Jesus, in his love and his mercy, woke me up to pray for Sam. And it's the same prayer I pray every day, guys. I mean, the same prayer. There was nothing special. I had no visions. Okay, here's the awesome thing God did. My brother's driving down the road. And he falls asleep at the wheel. He's 23 years old. His 13-month-old baby is in my house. He's heading straight towards the three concrete pillars on Highway 287. Okay, and um, he wakes up. And I know what God did. He had me to pray that the blood of Jesus would be upon Samuel. And it was, and he sent his morning angels to come down into that car. And it actually was a truck, and he loves his truck. He idolizes his truck. But he sent those angels to come down in there and steer him away from that concrete pillar. The whole left side of his, uh, what do you call this, steering column is totally twisted. Um, The truck is totaled. He gets out of that truck, guys. No scratches, no blood. Okay, I mean his 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 right leg is, is sore because um, of the impact. He was going 70 plus miles an hour when he fell asleep. He didn't hit a concrete pillar. What slowed him down was the mud in the median. Okay, and he and his his truck slid next to the concrete pillar, slid it all up, tore up the the steering column. I just want to tell you guys. <laughs> You might not think you're awesome or that you have all this great faith. But like Thurman taught me, when you go to the third heaven and you take God's promises, he is faithful to his word. And he loves to hear you lift up your loved ones beforehand because that's what he wants to do. He didn't want my brother to die the other day. He wanted him to live. And he wanted him to come to know the goodness of Christ. And I don't know if he's done that. The Lord knows in his heart. But um, today, um, he walked out of that car, out of that truck, to a gas station, because he doesn't have a cell phone, and called my grandpa. So he's alive today because of the blood of Jesus in Revelation 12, 11. Amen. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. That almost made me want to cry listening to her tell that testimony. Praise the King. I mean... 
God is interceding for us. Now then, wow. Because of this magnificent piece of bread, Jesus clearly said in his word that him that does not eat my body and drink my blood has nothing in me. So I trust that you yourself, if you know that you have any kind of any kind of a sin, I trust that you will confess that sin before the Lord because you we should walk holy before God. But then we should realize that this bread is the body of our Savior, and when we put the body of our Savior in us, it performs a miracle in us that by His stripes we are healed. Thank you, Father, for what you sent your Son to do for us, that by receiving by faith the body into our body, it purges us and heals us. And, Lord, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the blood. This is the most powerful thing in the universe. The blood of our King. That by the blood, He purified and washed away every sin we ever committed. It took me a lifetime to begin to get a hold of that magnificent statement. That I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That I can approach the throne of grace from the third heaven anytime I want to with any petition I want. Because I'm in Christ. And I can walk into the throne room of God bold as a lion because of this blood. And literally told me to come in boldly and ask him what I want. Whereas the high priest could only come in once a year. But you and I are no longer servants. We're no longer friends. We're children, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And everything that was available to Jesus is available to us because of the blood. In the name of Jesus, Father, we take this thanking you and praising you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll pass your cups to the edge, they'll come by and pick up your cups. The body of the Savior, which heals you on the cross. Don't wrongly discern the body. If you've got any kind of sickness in your body, you can come forth at the end of the service. We will pray the prayer of faith for you. In fact, I had a little lady, this one sitting right up here on the front. I got tickled to her a while ago. She was at a healing school the other day. And she came with, I believe she said, a tremendous pain in her right side, I believe, right here. And just during a healing school... She noticed all of a sudden the pain was gone. Nobody prayed for her. She's just hearing the Word of God. And you know what this little lady said to me a while ago she did? After the pain, I thought, moving all over, scrooting around, trying to find out if it's still there. But I can't hardly believe it's gone. You see where we live? You see where we live? When you come to a healing school or when you take a communion, what should you expect your pain to do? Go. In the name of Jesus. And there should be no doubt in your heart that your king and my king, praise the king, our king came and defeated the forces of darkness and gave us all power over, the, uh, over them. 
or we don't have to put up with pain or sickness or disease. But he demands that you believe him in faith. And when you believe him in faith, you get to see our king do great and mighty things.